Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamariu, Global Logistics and Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. We are in the business of recruiting top leaders to take your business forward, but also my job is to connect you with global experts, thought leaders and executives in all things supply chain to share the latest developments in the industry. This is episode 9 and it is my pleasure to have as a guest Chang Wen Lai. At 27 and with no logistics experience, Chang Wen started the company Ninja Wen that netted $45 million in investment so far with a very steep learning curve, uh, 22-hour workdays, sleeping in the office and, in, and all sorts of other uh, very interesting activities. He managed to build a very successful company so far. Uh, also, Ninja Wen went on to redefine the industry by enabling next-day door-to-door deliveries for e-commerce firms and their customers. And right now, it's probably one of the most successful startup stories in the logistics space. Uh, having grown in a short span to a regional player, uh, it has a presence in Southeast Asia. Apart from Singapore, Malaysia and Indonesia, they are present in Thailand, Philippines and Vietnam too. And currently delivering close to 100,000 parcels per day. So it's my pleasure to welcome Chang Wen here today with us to share more on the Ninja Van story and what lies ahead for them, as well as to tell us more in terms of his views on what type of people, skills and culture they are trying to uh, build to move things forward. Chang Wen, welcome and it's a pleasure to have you with us today. My honor here to be here, Radu. Uh, happy to help and share whatever I can. Super. So let, let me ask you, I mean, you, have, uh, you guys have a very, very good success story, very good growth story. Uh, tell us a little bit about about the journey so far, but also what is next for Ninja Van. Well, the journey so far, when we first started, we knew close to nothing at all. I think we kept a very open mind, a learn-it-all kind of mindset. So it wasn't about thinking that we could change everything, but learning what the current players are doing and trying to innovate if it makes sense. And many times we realized that it doesn't make sense to innovate because they're doing things the right way. Yeah, And I think that takes a lot of... You, you cannot have too much pride when you do this and think that you do everything better. I think sometimes, you know, over the last hundred years, people have perfected certain things and some things are just not meant to be changed. But understanding what has, you know, I think what has really changed is technology and technology has definitely changed a few things. And the way I look at it is technology is a very good transaction cost leveler. You know, it makes certain things a lot easier, uh, uh, more intelligent. And I think when we take that mindset and we look at how technology isn't just a cost optimizer in this business, but technology is an enabler for services to allow businesses which have evolved in the light of technology for us to serve them better. And that it really is kind of the base in which we kind of believe we can make an effect change in this industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, I mean, if it's not if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. Right? Exactly, and it's it's, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's a common commonality. And there was actually a question from uh, from uh, from Alberto from our audience, and, and we talked about technology and probably one of the most uh, hyped uh, to a certain extent, but also uh, you know a buzzword that you hear everybody everybody talking or a lot of people talking is AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Um, so I wanted to ask you also, you know, uh, as a technology side, artificial intelligence, how do you see that and its implication in last mile distributions? Uh, do you think there's ways in which it has the potential to disrupt the industry, to help the industry? Well, I, I definitely think so, but perhaps not in the way most people think it will be. I think if you think about AI, you think of autonomous bots, autonomous drones, autonomous vehicles moving. I actually don't, don't think that that's too close. I think it's still quite far across the horizon. Mm. I don't expect to see a robot delivering my parcel in my apartment building anytime in the next few years. But I think what AI has great strides and you look at Siri, look at Katana and all these, 
I think AI has the ability to improve the customer experience, not to lower cost. So again, back to technology as more of an enabler for services rather than cost optimizer. People think that AI will allow us to replace human labor in delivering parcels and hence lowering costs. I would actually beg to differ. I think the first usage of AI in this business at least is how we use AI to provide a fantastic customer service. Mm. Instead of calling the call center and waiting, AI takes over, replies to you on chatbots very fast, answers all your questions. And of course, all this is on the basis that the information is there to be found. If the entire business doesn't run on technology, if you have no idea where your parcel is, it's a lot harder for you to answer these questions. But with AI, I think you can answer, you know, where's my parcel? Or can I change the delivery timing? And then this gets affected and pushed into our logistic systems, which then changes the time windows, for example. Yeah. So I think the AI in terms of helping both consumers with their delivery experience and helping our shippers in scheduling a pickup slot, in changing the details of a certain parcel, all these can be a lot more seamless with AI. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is the immediate path for us where we try to improve the both shipper and consumer experience with AI. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Yeah, so before we talk about... Uh uh, science fiction, you know, but the next next step ahead, right? So, uh, and I think chatbots are are relatively are or are becoming relatively or more and more. I wouldn't say mainstream, but more and more common. Uh, also, the I know the government of Singapore is using some of them for some of the services yep. that that they're doing. Yep. Um, and just out of out of this question, another question that has just popped up in my my mind. Also, for the optimizations of routes, do you see any implication? Because I was talking, uh, I remember I was talking with Charles Brew, who's the CEO of DHL Commerce, and he was telling me that they're trying to do things when it comes to the delivery. With, with route optimizations and because it, a lot of times it takes uh, I mean that type of data if you take half an hour or one hour to do a delivery it matters but do you see any implications of AI also uh, being used in th- that type of work or it's so I mean I would say it's less AI it's more NLP I mean it's mm-hmm. all kind of under the same realm <clears throat> yeah. if you look at route optimization I think the first thing most people forget or they take for granted is that the address is accurate yeah without accurate addresses there's no route optimization the question then is, how do you get accurate addresses? Yeah. And on the back of accurate addresses, how do you build a strong optimization engine? Yeah. Which learns from previous routes, from historical routes, which is able to adapt despite inaccurate road networks. So again, so a few assumptions, right? The first assumption is we know exactly where the location is. The second assumption is we know the exact road networks in Southeast Asia. I think both assumptions are not valid. So before we even move into road optimization, I think we kind of have to solve two problems. How do we use a variety of sources and our own internal databases and our own feedback mechanisms from our drivers through the driver applications to provide a very accurate address database? So we know when an address string comes in, where the exact address is. The second would then be, given that we know the exact let long of an address, how do we know which roads lead to it? And when you look at Southeast Asia, look at Indonesia, for example, I think it's not surprising to see a one-way road with two-way traffic. Yeah, or <laughs> quite common. Yeah, <laughs> or, or a two-way road with one, one-way traffic, or even more surprising, a, a, an area with no road, but people are still traveling through it. So how, how accurate are these road networks? Not the most accurate. It is most accurate when you look at the data, which is moving, how your actual drivers are solving the problems on the ground, and then building your own virtual network above existing road networks. Because you know that this building, there's no road going through it. But somehow your driver always manages to go to that building, deliver something, and go to the next building, which is seemingly a one-kilometer detour on the road network. 
something's happening on the ground. We, we don't we don't exactly know what, but we are collecting all that data mm. to better understand that building A to building B is not through a one kilometer detour, but a fifty meter walk under God knows what a fence, a hole in the fence, uh, jumping over a wall. We don't we don't know, but he does it. So by solving the address, and that's where NLP comes in very strongly. By solving the road network where there's a bit of AI, we can get a lot of algorithms there, we are then better able to understand where exactly the location is and which roads lead to it. Then the optimization algorithms come in. Yeah, yeah. No, excellent, excellent points. And I mean, I think uh, a lot of times we, we take for granted, and especially in some countries in Southeast Asia, the very basic things like, indeed, I mean, are you sure this is the right house? And, you know, are you sure that's the right road? <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's much more basic. Um, and, and moving on to, to, uh, to uh, the, the, the people side of the segment, I mean, uh, and also talking about people uh, and, and what it takes to build a successful startup uh, uh, story. Uh, when you guys started, I think you had two co-founders. I mean, you still have uh, you still have them. All three of you with no logistics experience, and uh, the core team is critical, of course. Um, tell us a little bit. How did you get together? Any secret for you working together very good as a team? Well, with my CTO, we were friends for maybe about five years. He was always helping me fix any tech problems I had. But any business I had before this, he figured it wasn't important or challenging enough and he never wanted to get involved. I think when we realized that the last mile could be very complex, he got very excited. Although we severely underestimated the complexity of what we have to build. We thought that we could finish everything in two years, three years on. I think we were probably 10% of the way. Yeah. My COO, Bo Xian, he was my badminton doubles partner when I was 10 years old and we've been in the same school ever since. So I think we have a very strong friendship amongst all three of us. We kind of share the same vision that we want to make an impact in what we're doing. We're not happy just going to work every day and you know, what's, the, what's, what, what's the purpose of us, not just for earning money. And what keeps us going and makes us work really well, I think it's quite interesting. I think the mutual trust and respect we have, a rather clear segmentation of responsibilities allow us to align on high level objectives we see the mountain we see the peak we know we want to get there but we don't bug each other with how we should take our own paths up we chart our own paths up but we trust that we will always be doing our best finding the best path mm. and that we will always be going to the same point yeah so a lot less conflict you know, we, we don't try to come to a consensus on everything yeah decisions generally fall clearly into someone's camp and we try not to get overly involved unless our opinions are asked. Yeah. And I think it allows us to run very fast, uh, but yet be very aligned. Yeah. No, super, super good sharing. Um, and, and since you're now growing a lot, I mean, you had to, uh, to recruit fresh blood in the team. Um, tell us a little bit, what skill sets and what mindsets are you looking for when you're recruiting talent to, to move the company forward? So when we looked at this, we kind of asked ourselves, how did we even get here ourselves in the first place? What, what was the most important attribute we had? And I think it's quite similar to what I said before. It's a lot of it is self-awareness, which means I'm going to learn it all. I'm going to learn. I don't know everything, but I want to keep learning. And self-awareness is fantastic for people who want to learn because they know that they do not know. The worst people are those who think they know everything. The second worst people are those who do not know that they do not know everything. And the people we would like to hire are people who know that they have big gaps in their information. And these are people who keep poking, keep learning, keep trying to improve themselves, whether it's in technical expertise, whether it's in management, leadership, 
So these are the kind of people we look for, people who are hungry, people who know that there's a lot to learn and they actively want to learn. And of course, what really helps with this is a very strong logical mind. So a smart person with a logical mind who's hungry to learn, has no ego, and keeps improving himself every day, can eventually become great leaders in ninja. And mm. this is exactly the kind of people we look for. Mm. I mean, I, I think it, 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 it paints a very good uh, portrait. But if I if I am to probe one level further, how is there a way in which you identify? Because that's also very sometimes it's well, it, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not so easy to tell. How how can you tell if somebody has that desire to then hunger to learn, but at the same time less ego or, or yeah? Well, I think the hunger to learn and less ego. Um, so ninja could appear to be very traditional, right? hub and spoke networks, so on. Yeah, a bit a bit kind of a school book almost mm. of sorts. It's when you poke them with what ifs, asking them, could you do things another way? And when you see a certain stubbornness and unwillingness to shift his thoughts from the norm into something more, become a bit more open-minded, I think that's where you detect a lot on ego. You detect a lot of people think they know it all and they refuse, they refuse to keep an open mind. So it's, it's, there's no single question. In fact, you can never ask someone, are you open-minded, right? Or are you self-aware? You can ask, but they're, they're going to say yes. Yeah. So, so these are the kind of questions yeah. you never ask, but you can tell from conversation yeah. very strongly. Someone who's very obstinate, very stubborn, you immediately can tell. Mm. Someone who's super confident, yeah, but you know, no, one's, no one knows everything. And, and not everything is black or white. There are many shades of grey. People who are willing to accept that this is a shade of grey, which I have an opinion on, you may have a different opinion, which is another shade of grey, but we're both not wrong. Neither are we both right, mm. but let's explore. And then that ability to explore and distill the fundamentals down to the core concepts is something we look for in the second stage. Yeah, yeah, super. Good, uh, good, uh, good summary. Um, moving on to, I mean, uh, you obviously you're an entrepreneur. I think you you had a you had a successful and interesting venture before Ninja Van as well. Um, wanted to ask you what what do you think what what does entre- the word entrepreneurship mean to you? Well, I think what it means is you are ready to fail if you try your best. So entrepreneurship isn't about saying I always want to be successful. Entrepreneurship is saying I want to embark upon a journey where I constantly learn, be it because I'm successful or I fail. So I didn't have a successful startup before I failed. But I'm still an entrepreneur because I learned. And it's always what's next and remembering what's behind, which makes one an entrepreneur. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, we typically learn most from when we are when we fail and when we are challenged, rather than when we are comfortable, don't we? So, I guess yeah. there's there's a commonality in that. And if you cannot put up with failure, I mean, I guess you shouldn't start the business because there's there's a lot of that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Even it? in a successful company, you fail many times and you fail many other aspects. Correct, correct. So <laughs> I think that's that's a part of life. But sometimes, uh, and and I've also been in Asia for about. Uh, about 10 years and, and in Asia you have the the concept of, the, of losing face right so yeah. it, it's it's something that um, uh, you know for an entrepreneur it's almost impossible I mean, you cannot you, you forget yeah. it because it's, there's no need to worry about it which is why maybe the best way to look at you know if you want to be an entrepreneur you should throw your face away first assume you have nothing to start with that way you have everything to gain right yeah yeah well, that's beautiful yeah throw your face away it's a, it's yeah. a good expression I'll, I'll use that for the future. Um, and w- let, let me ask you, what's, what's a piece of advice I mean, that you received through your journey as an entrepreneur that you think it was, was really valuable or if, uh, it really stuck with you, it really helped you? Well, I think one of the best advice I've, I've gotten was keep your eye on the prize. Don't 
worry about a lot of small things. That's one. Actually, no, I think the best advice I've ever had was that in life, there's never a right action, but there's always a right thing to do at the right time. And I think this applies a lot to management philosophy. Whether it's culture or strategy, there's no right culture. There's a right culture at the right time. Mm. So be very cognizant of two extreme ends of the spectrum and figure out which shade of grey you should be at any point in time and how it's always evolving. Mm. So when people are super prescriptive and say, look, the way to be a manager, the way to be you know, a leader is do this. Generally, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's ever on one extreme end. Yeah. And it, 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 there's no such thing as a, I mean, that's why, I mean, a lot of people uh, pretend to know it all and they pretend to be gurus of this and that, but ultimately, is there really a formula for success? Maybe, I mean, you, if you keep yourself open and yeah. adapt that formula to the different circumstances and different contexts yes. and be very clear that it adapts and it changes along the way, like you said, that maybe is the formula for success. Yeah, and when, when a company is 10 men and the company is 1,000 men, I think you run things very differently, right? So no one can say this is the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But you, know, you should know how a three-man company looks like and a 10,000-person company looks like and try to figure out, you know, how you should evolve along the way. Yeah. Um, is there any, any personal habit that you think contributes to your success? Well, you can see I'm a bit OCD. Mm-hmm. So I like to respond to things very quickly. You know, I believe in being very responsive. And I think that's one of the key attributes which won us the initial vote of confidence from our customers. You know, essentially, if you, if you text me or you send me an email, maybe from like 3.30 a.m. to 6.30, yeah, chances are you wait three hours to get a reply. But any other time, if it's important, you probably get a reply in two minutes. And I think that kind of responsiveness is super important in our business because in, in, you know, in logistics, you're never 100%. You always have failures, you always have edge cases. But it is in handling these failures which you really make a mark. I don't profess to handle 100% of edge cases either. Definitely things slip through the crack. But this culture of, we know that we can never be perfect, but we try to be perfect at fixing our imperfections. Yeah. We try to catch everything which falls through the crack, but we know that there will always be cracks. And I think this culture permeates through the entire organization and allows us to be a lot more responsive, a lot more caring, Know, a lot more mindful of what our clients care and need. And I think this has helped us really grow our client base from one customer to thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. I know, I mean, also, people typically appreciate, right? Right? Is the, how do you call that? There's a term for it. It's the customer recovery experience, yes, right? Yes. Um, and actually, in those moments, it's even more important because uh, there's, the, there's the chance of deepening your relationship with that client if you do it right. Yep. You know, if you pretend not to, uh, you know, just lay low and don't do anything, then of course it deepens the problem. But <laughs> yeah. uh, good point that you made, yeah. But don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we have perfect customer recovery, but yeah. you know, if you look at priorities, if we had limited resources and I'm asked to move my SLA from 99 to 99.9, or move my service recovery from 90% to 99%. I, I always choose service recovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when people are pissed off, they get really unhappy. And now, nowadays also you have social media and they can really unhappy and really loud. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's that's another reality. Right? It's a thankless business, right? <laughs> so if everything goes well, you're like, you know, it should be the case, right? You're just five minutes late because of heavy rain. Why do I care this heavy rain? Get me my pass on time. <laughs> exactly. I'm in need. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Can you share, do you have any, I don't know, uh, resources online, uh, websites, courses, uh, anything that you keep yourself updated to learn, to, uh, to keep uh, the trends uh, on, on your desk? And, 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 yeah. Well, to be honest, I think I'm a bit ashamed to say that, but not really. Um, mm. I think my best source is Facebook. Make friends with people who are useful, not people who just keep taking pictures of themselves. That way, you get the best knowledge base. <laughs> I mean, I... I, I I do unfollow a lot of people who post pointless pictures themselves, but you realize that your friends or your network is actually the best source of knowledge. Yeah. They post a lot of very relevant articles and you read it. And I mean, I use Flipboard as well and I subscribe to quite a number of publications, but I find the best filter is my friends. Yeah. I mean, they post an interesting article. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, interesting, uh, interesting final question from, from us. If you can give some advice to somebody graduating university, and I know that, you know, obviously you're, you're very young as well, but, uh, you had a different trajectory. So what kind of advice would you give for, uh, for a young graduate of university? Well, this can seem quite out of the ordinary, but I would, my first advice is don't get married. And it was a bit funny, but why? Right. So I believe that going to a startup, isn't to get you quick bucks or anything. It is really to quicken your learning curve at the expense of your wealth. Yeah. Chances are you're going to exit a startup poorer than if you work for a MNC. 99% of the chance. Or your expected value is definitely lower. This means that the only reason why you should join a startup is so that you can learn in three years what you have learned in six. However, I think to really get a good learning of a startup, it is good you experience corporate life I mean you see a lot of bad habits coming in from people who leave university and join a startup poor email etiquette poor work etiquette sometimes just, they just don't know how the real world functions I mean you might have done an internship but it's not the same as working 2-3 years so my, my advice would be don't get married work for 2 years but quit after 2 years if you're married you cannot quit you're scared you have a mortgage you pay you know, hopefully you don't have a kid but by then if you have a kid good luck you yeah. won't quit and yeah. you're going to do that the rest of your life yeah. so don't get married work in a big corporate for two years understand and keep your eyes open why are corporates doing what they're doing there are good reasons for that then leave join a startup experience how it is to work in a three man group but always remember how it was to work in a 30,000 man group and along the way adapt yeah I think this gives you you know you get both extremes and you learn along the way yeah got it no good uh, good uh, good points um and maybe the, maybe the point is not to get married but don't buy a house get married but don't, don't buy a house don't, in, don't get uh, extra headaches <laughs> in Southeast Asia it's going to be really hard to get married and not buy a house <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's another the parents in law are never going to allow it too long yeah they're, they're never going to allow the, they're never going to walk their daughter down the aisle yeah yeah. Like, so, try to find so I'm assuming destroy. you're not married I'm not <laughs> <laughs> no but good uh, good good point so Chanman thanks a lot for your time thanks for the sharing really good uh, insights today and, and it was a pleasure to, to have you with us more than welcome Thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on radopalamariu.com slash podcast for all the show notes, links, and extra tips covered in the interview. Make sure also to subscribe to our emailing list to get the news in the nick of time. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes or Stitcher and you like what we do, please kindly review and give us five stars so we can keep the energy flowing and get more people to find out about our podcast. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me to stay tuned for our latest uh, articles as well as future guests for the podcast and if you have any suggestions or any other idea please feel free to write to me i respond to all 
And also, please make sure not to miss our next episode where we will be having a few other C-level and top leaders in supply chain joining us. Stay tuned.